0: I'll ask you to take your Bibles and turn to our scripture reading today, our passage that we'll be looking at. It's found in Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of Genesis 25, and you can follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read from mine. Genesis 25. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah, Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Epha, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Eldah. All these were children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts. the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beir-lahoi-roi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the first of the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishmah, Dumah, Massah, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Naphish, and uh, Kadamah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I know what you're thinking. I think I know what you're thinking. And you're thinking, what a boring passage. It's just a couple of obituaries some genealogies, some difficult names. How can there be anything good in there? And you might be thinking that about this passage, but I, I doubt that you think that way about the packages that land on your doorstep a couple times a week. You know, those boring brown boxes with UPC codes and a strip of black t- tape on the top and bottom. You, you can have a blander presentation if you tried, than a cardboard box. But something tells me that you're not too off-put by the packaging. I doubt that when you see that box laying just outside of your door, that you're thinking to yourself, how could there possibly be anything good in there? I bet you're thinking the opposite. I bet you can't wait to tear into that box and discover what's inside. And whatever it is, you know that it's going to be good. You, you've learned that good things come in bland packages, and Amazon never disappoints. Have you learned that yet about the scriptures? That beneath the sometimes bland packaging, death notices and lists of names, for example, that beneath that lies profound principles and the kind of theological truth that can sustain you and spur you on in the faith. The Word of God has never failed us yet. And oh, that we would have the same kind of zeal to dig into the Word as we have to tear open packages. So here's what's inside. I'm going to give you the main truth, the main idea of this passage right up front, like Pastor Jerry did last week. That was good and helpful So I'll do it again today. Here's the main point. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to accomplish everything that he said that he would do. God is faithful. Now I hope that you're not thinking what I think you might be thinking at this point. I hope you're not thinking that the truth that God is faithful is a rather bland product to discover under boring wrapper. Not not too long ago, we got a a great big box on our doorstep that had the Walmart insignia on it. Uh, It was still bland, even though it was more blue than than cardboard brown, but still it was a big box, and I was excited to see what was on the inside. So I tore open the tape, and I pulled out a 24-pack of Toilet paper. What a letdown. Did you experience that kind of letdown when I told you that this boring passage contains the truth that God is faithful? Were you kind of hoping that the truth would be bigger and more profound, more exciting than that? If so, then you probably don't realize how badly you need this truth. The truth that God is faithful is one of these bare necessities in the Christian life. Put it this way, if I had opened that same Walmart box a year ago, you know, so like in spring of 2020, I would have been ecstatic. You see, I'm, I'm ho-hum about TP when, it, when I take it for granted, but I'm ecstatic about it when I recognize my need. And I trust that this text will help us to understand our need for God to be faithful. And not only that, but our need to know that God is faithful. And that we would delight to be able to lift all of these glorious truths out of our passage this morning. Bland as the packaging might at first appear. So let's seek to understand something of the extent of God's faithfulness as we see it displayed from three different perspectives in our passage first of all god is faithful and he's faithful to the faithful and the unfaithful god is faithful to the faithful and the unfaithful so our first two points are actually going to deal with this question who who are the recipients of god's faithful dealings of his blessing and we think that we know the answer to that one Right? It's one of our favorite verses in all of Scripture. We're not sure exactly of the reference, but it goes a little something like this. That God helps those who help themselves. That's a good one. We believe that God deals faithfully with faithful people. That's how that goes. That's how we act. That's how we expect God would deal as well. We we think that good things come, spiritual benefits flow to those who have their spiritual acts together. And trust me, it's not just nominal Christians who think this way. I think this way. Okay, I know we think this way. This this is my default thinking. This is the kind of this this is this kind of works righteousness is what I just automatically fall back into. Even this week, I was talking to a good friend about a church plant that we uh, both know of that's being led by a person that has some whacked out political views, and we wondered aloud to each other how how a church how that church could ever expect to be prospered and by God and blessed by God, given such faulty actions and attitudes but But then I got thinking about it. And the truth is that God routinely blesses less than perfect churches. Come to think of it, there, no other church exists for God to bless and to be faithful to. So this kind of tit-for-tat thinking that we have just constantly needs to be challenged and calibrated and conformed to the grace of God. The fact of the matter is that God is faithful to the faithful and the unfaithful. So I guess the question now is, where would we put a guy like Abraham? What category does he fit into? Is he faithful or is he unfaithful? This passage gives us notice of the death of Abraham, a man uh, over the last 14 chapters or so that we've come to know and love. He feels like a friend to us by this point. And death always gives us an opportunity to look back at a person's life and to draw some conclusions about their character. Um, At a funeral or at the graveside, we we give a eulogy, typically. And that eulogy, in addition to giving some basic facts about the, uh, the person's life, in that eulogy, we like to highlight the many commendable things about that person. Now the eulogy that the author to the Hebrews gives Abraham is that he was a man of faith, par excellence. In Hebrews 11, um, what's come to be known as the Hall of Faith, this is where all of the faithful men and women of the past are displayed. Abraham is most prominently displayed. He is given a disproportionate amount of verses to discuss uh, his great faithfulness in uh, for example, leaving his homeland at the bare call of God, not knowing where he was going, but knowing that God was leading him. And then, of course, uh, the the faithfulness displayed by Abraham in his ongoing sojourning through the land without finding a permanent dwelling place took a lot of faith. And ultimately, the high point of his faithfulness is displayed in his readiness to to even sacrifice his son, to offer his only son, the son of a promise, Isaac, as a burnt offering. So for good reason, Abraham is our example. He He's our father, the the Bible speaks of him as. And in Galatians chapter 3, Paul calls him the man of faith. Abraham was faithful. Now, I've given a fair amount of eulogies in my day. And because I endeavor to be a uh, Realistic guy. I don't like um, fakey, fakey stuff. I, I don't want to be ever charged as a, a hypocrite. I always struggle with do I include some not so commendable things as I'm discussing a person's life? You know, should I acknowledge the estranged wife? Should I mention the gambling habit, the alcoholism? It's always a, it's always a little bit of a struggle to know exactly what to say. And it's interesting to me that the narrator here in Genesis 25 is not afraid to give us a realistic portrait of the man Abraham. And actually, this has been the case all along. This is one of the things I think that we appreciate about this narrative in Genesis is that Moses has not whitewashed the record. He has told us, for example, about how Abraham passed his wife off as his sister multiple times whenever they traveled internationally because of his fearfulness and because of his faithlessness. Furthermore, we were given all of the gory details about the Hagar drama, how Sarah had offered her maidservant to her husband in order to bring about the promises of God by the flesh. It sounded to Abraham like a decent plan. But then you, we saw how all the horrible fallout from that sinful act. Now in verses 12 and following, we have a record of the people and the tribes that sprung from Ishmael, whom the text says, uh, Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore Abraham. So we, we might have left that part off of Abraham's obituary. That, that was kind of a, not-so-great not, great, not so great moment in his life. But Moses is not afraid to mention her, and he's not afraid to mention this idea of Abraham having concubines. Now, if you'll notice in verse 6, the word concubines is plural. It means there was more than one. Now, this is a bit confusing because we read of a woman named Keturah right from the beginning, um, verse 1. This is a woman that the text says he took as a wife. And that gives us the impression that he did so after Sarah had died, that he remarried and then had a, a big fruitful family with Keturah after that. That would be great. That would be fine if that were the case. He's allowed to get remarried. But elsewhere in scripture, Keturah is described as a concubine. And even in this passage, the context seems to indicate that she is one of the concubines uh, that, whose sons Abraham gave gifts to and sent away. So she's part of the plural there in the word concubine. And so the idea is uh, many scholars believe that, that this is telescoping back in time and telling us that Abraham had taken another woman as a wife named Keturah while Sarah was still alive. So in in effect, she was a concubine. And if that's true, that would just compound Abraham's status as a sinner, as unfaithful. Now, the, the practice of polygamy and the, the picking up of side pieces in the Old Testament is not something that gets as full-throated of a condemnation as we would like for it to, right? But Jesus sets the record straight when, when he was asked about this kind of thing during his ministry, and he said that things like that were tolerated, they were permitted which is different from endorsed and given two enthusiastic thumbs up. And the reason that it was tolerated was because of the hardness of people's heart. But Jesus was clear to say it's not that, it wasn't that way from the beginning. That is not according to God's design. And we know this from having studied the earliest chapters of Genesis that God's good design from the beginning was one woman... for one man for a lifetime. Furthermore, we we saw that after sin entered the world, people were discovering all of the unique ways in which they could rebel against God's created order and his good design. And so we read in Genesis chapter 4 about an arrogant and brash man by the name of Lamech. And the text there says that he took two wives. And this is clearly an act of defiance against God. Here in chapter 25, during his eulogy, we're reminded of the sins of Abraham, the man of God, the sins to take Hagar improperly and to take Keturah most likely improperly. And if she wasn't part of the plural concubines, he certainly had at least one other. So what do you think? What do you think now? Do you, is, is Abraham to be categorized as faithful or unfaithful? In the final analysis, we understand that he looked forward to the time and to the person of Christ. As Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. So positionally, Abraham is in Christ by faith. He's accounted righteous. And and same with you. If you're in Christ, there is now no condemnation for you. You are justified. You have been declared righteous. You should expect to hear on that great day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's your status, faithful. But practically, and in terms of our performance, like Abraham, we all stumble in many ways. The question is, is God's faithfulness to us based on our faithfulness to him? And Abraham's life teaches us that, thank goodness, no. God is faithful to the faithful and the unfaithful. And when it comes to each of us, those two terms describe the same person. I love that trustworthy saying that we read of in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which goes uh, like this. It says, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And as this ditty progresses, you know the tit-for-tat pattern is set up with all of those conditional statements so that we should expect the, re- the results, whatever the results are, are going to be commensurate with our position and our performance. So that trustworthy saying keeps going along that consistent pattern, but now comes the last line. It says, if we are faithless, and right, right at this point, according to the pattern, we expect it's going to say something like, he will deal faithlessly with us. But of course, that's not the case with God. And so that pattern is broken. It's gloriously broken. It's shattered in the last line. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Oh man, I love that. I love how this structure moves us from the the we to the he. It's all about him. Him. God's faithfulness is all about him. And and that really, I think, helps us to realize that our performance mentality is actually a form of pride. I think most of us will agree, I don't know this is a very controversial statement these days, but I think most of you in here will agree that it's a special kind of hubris to think that the activities of mankind are going to have sweeping impact on the climate. That we can somehow control the weather in the future by how many hamburgers we eat today. Well, have you considered the hubris required to believe that your performance is going to positively or negatively impact God's promises to you? It's not about you. It's all about him. And in Abraham's life, this point is made quite memorably by the fact that when God entered into covenant with him, at the very beginning, you recall that when God wanted to formalize and set forth in, a, in an oath-type way all of the promises that he had made to Abraham, where was Abraham? He was off in a coma to the side. And God himself walked through the animal halves as if to say this is going to be completely dependent on me abraham has nothing to do with it now i say all this not to give us license to sin in fact we should have the opposite instinct in light of such grace and mercy and faithfulness that should drive you in the opposite way but i do say this to encourage us and we need to be encouraged God is going to fulfill every promise that he has ever made to you. And he's going to do so in spite of the week that you may have just had. If we're faithless, and we are, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful to the faithful and to the unfaithful. In the second place, we see that God is faithful to the elect and to the non-elect. God is faithful to the elect and to the non-elect. In the weeks ahead, we're not going to be able to avoid some controversial terms and a controversial topic. And to use this term, election in most conservative Baptist circles is enough to make people twitch. And uh, that's already too much movement for conservative Baptist circles. So we'll have occasion to consider God's choice of Jacob over Esau, which is going to bring us to Romans chapter 9, which is, I think, I'm right about this, it's, I'm sure, the most skipped over chapter in all of Scripture. And so we will see that there is a particularity to the people of God. There are certain individuals and families that are the objects of God's love and that are His chosen vehicles for His saving purpose. And others are not. There's ultimately two kinds of people in the world, the elect and the non-elect. So if you're put off by that if you're intrigued by that if you want to hear more on that i'll encourage you to keep coming out as we uh, dive into genesis but already in this passage you can see the distinctions being made in verse 5 we read that abraham gave all that he had to isaac all that he had and this in spite of the fact that he has seven other sons ishmael by hagar and six others by keturah And all of these other sons are given gifts and they're sent away. But it was Isaac who was the son of the promise, the chosen one, if I could use those terms. It's Isaac that receives the full inheritance. In this chapter, the narrator deals with Ishmael and with the other sons and it traces a little bit of their lineage But then what we're going to find is all of these, after having been dealt with in the first part of this chapter, are going to fade out of sight, and the spotlight is going to shine on Isaac, because he is the elect one. So there are clear distinctions already being made, even in the structure of the passage. But in breaking up the the world into these two categories, elect and non-elect, there's a real danger that I want to just warn you about from the outset. And the danger is to believe that God has no regard for the non-elect, that he only has judgment and wrath for them, or to think that God has no plan or purpose for them, only damnation. Needless to say, if we gave ourselves over to such a mindset, it would greatly affect how we treat unbelievers. I'm not just speaking theoretically. That happens. That happens. And hopefully it's going to inoculate us against such dangerous and unbiblical thinking if we can only see how God deals with the non-elect. And passages like this one, this one right here in front of us, shows us that God deals graciously and faithfully with them. No, I want you to notice first how Abraham deals with his sons who are not sons of the promise. Verse 6, he gave gifts to them and helped them get established in their own places while he was still living. Abraham is under no obligation to do this, you have to understand. These, these are his sons by way of concubines and therefore they have no legal right or authority to anything and yet he gives them Yes, he gives them grace. But let's look at Ishmael in particular. In verses 12 and following, his offspring are mentioned. These names that you read, Nebaioth, Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Naphish, and Kedema. These appear to be both their given names and also the names of the tribes that they would become. And there's 12 of them in total. What do you think of that? Well, that's, a pretty, that's pretty boring, right? That's, pretty, that's about as boring as a brown box. Well, let's rip it open and see what's inside. What's inside is nothing less than the fulfillment of the promises that God had made about Ishmael when he saw and he heard the cries of his mother Hagar in the wilderness. Do you remember that in chapter 21, verse 18? He said to Hagar, Up, lift up the boy, for I will make him into a great nation. But the promise regarding Ishmael actually goes back further. With greater specificity, we read in chapter 17, verse 20, what God promised to do with Ishmael. And so he says to Abraham, as for Ishmael, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. 12 princes? Well, these 12 are called 12 princes. And so what we have here in chapter 25, what's in the box is nothing less than the glorious truth that God is faithful even to the non-elect, that God is fulfilling every promise that He had ever made, not just to His people, but to the non-elect as well. And what we're talking about here is the doctrine of common grace, which teaches us that God is kind and that He's gracious. He's a giver of good gifts And he's faithful to all people, to all people. As Psalm 145 says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. In the case of Ishmael and in the case of the non-elect, there, there's, a, there's a negative promise also that God is faithful to fulfill. And I'm thinking about the very end of uh, the passage that we read, verse 18, which says that Ishmael settled against all his kinsmen. So part of God's plan and purpose was that Ishmael and his offspring would live in hostility towards their brothers. And that's the part of God's promise that we really latch on. We, we get really excited about that one. Yeah, there ought to be hostility between Isaac and Ishmael, between the elect and the non-elect. And when you consider that Ishmael's families and tribes come down to us in the present as majority Muslim people, well, that's when we can get really excited about the hostility and makes us rub our hands together in eager anticipation of some shock and awe. But if you really wanted to get aligned with the heart of God, you would go back to the original promises of God to Abraham, which was that in you, Abraham, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. In blessing Abraham, do you remember God intended that he would be a blessing to the ends of the earth? God's plans, you understand, are not just for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, not just for Israel. His plans are far more global than that. God intends that the seed of Abraham, which is ultimately Christ, and in Christ, ultimately the church, his plan is that he would extend the blessings and the benefits of the kingdom to people from every tongue and tribe and language and nation. Do you you see how a knowledge of God's faithfulness to fulfill all of His promises and to bless the nations in Christ is the fuel that propels us into the ends of the earth, armed with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfillment to His great commission towards us? Now, there's certainly much more that could be said along those lines. For now, I'll, I'll have to just be content to Stretch your thinking a bit to understand that God is faithful to the elect and to the non-elect. And third and finally, I want you to see that God is faithful in life and death. God is faithful in life and in death. We have asked through song this morning, what is our hope in life and death? And the glorious answer given by uh, the New City Catechism and before that, the, the first question, Lord's Day One of the Heidelberg Catechism, it's a glorious answer, but really it boils down to this, that God is faithful, that we belong to a faithful son, to a faithful father, and to a faithful spirit. And not any of God's promises to us have failed, nor shall they fail in the future. The one part of my job that I'm not ever real crazy about is officiating at funerals. And whenever I get that phone call, I always initially bristle, because it's not the most exciting thing in the world. And to be honest, it's uncomfortable and... It's a big responsibility, but without fail, it always turns out to be a big blessing for me personally. It's, it's a blessing to be able to learn about people that maybe I have never had the chance to, to know as they were living before they passed, or in the case of Christians, or in the case of my loved beloved church family, whom I I know well and love, it's a huge blessing to be able to look back on, on that person's life and to see the faithfulness of God written on every page. Funerals also end up being a real pleasure because it prompts me and it prompts all those who have gathered at that funeral to look towards the future in hope because of the faithfulness of God. So the recent passing of Jim and Carlene and, and Kathy Russell's mom, th- these are sad, to be sure, but they're also very joyful events because they anticipate a coming day when the faithfulness of God will be on full display. And evidence of God's faithfulness was seen all over Abraham's life. We've, we don't have to dwell on that now because... We've seen it for the last 14 chapters. God said that he would make him into a great nation, that he would make him great, and indeed he has. At the time of his death, Abraham had such great possessions that he was able to, he was able to give a huge inheritance to Isaac, and he was able to give gifts to all of his other sons. But I want you to just especially notice all of the evidence of God's faithfulness to Abraham, even in his death. I'm thinking especially of verse 7, which says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Again, that might strike you as very bland, another boring obituary, but tear open that package tear it open i want i want you to remember god's promise to abraham back in chapter 15 verse 15 let me read it to you it says as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried in a good old age so what's in the package the exact thing that god had ordered you take all of this together, and the truth is evident. God has been so faithful, even unto death. But there's more proof of God's faithfulness in death. Where is Abraham buried? In a cave in Machpelah, in Canaan, that he had purchased as a burial plot, for, first for Sarah, and then ultimately for his ancestors. But you remember something about this place? This is like a postage stamp size plot of real estate in the promised land. This was a great act of faith that uh, Abraham did when he purchased this, and it's a great act of faithful fulfillment to God that Abraham would be buried in that particular spot. God has been so faithful already to deliver on all of his promises, but we ain't seen nothing yet. Baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet. You you just stick along for the ride and you will see God's faithfulness to Abraham fulfilled over and over and over again. But then there's this old phrase that's used as a euphemism for death. In verse 8 we read that Abraham was gathered to his people. We use lots of euphemisms for death because it's so uncomfortable. Uh, it's easier for us to talk indirectly and around it. But some of these euphemisms are actually very helpful and beautiful. I think of the euphemism, we say that someone is resting or sleeping. That, that's a little bit more comfortable than saying that, you know, that they're cold and lifeless and rotting. But it's beautiful because it reminds us of a, a deeper truth which is that for the Christian death is just sleep it's like, it's, it's like closing your eyes at night only to wake them up open them up again in a glorious new day but but here's a euphemism gathered to his people that too is a beautiful expression It's a hopeful expression because it testifies to the belief that there's continued existence beyond the grave. Death is not just annihilation, you understand. It's not just the end of everything. No, we believe that death ushers us into a continued existence, one that's characterized by revitalization and reunion with our loved ones, and most importantly, with the loveliest one. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has made our resurrection possible by His glorious resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He's the one that has blazed the way through death by triumphing over it. And He's blazed the way all the way into glory. Unto the grave what shall we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives. And what reward shall heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord, and sin and death shall be no more. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. And here's another great song. Since we're quoting songs, let me quote a Psalm 108. It says in part, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So how far does the faithfulness of God bring you? It brings you all the way to heaven. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful in life and death. Behold, this is your bare necessity, for this week, and for the rest of your life. This is the basis for your thanksgiving and your praise and your confidence and your hope and your joy. Here it is. Your God is faithful, that He will surely do everything that He has promised that He'll do in you and for you. Are you worried that you're not going to make it? Well, don't be. Don't be, because I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's faithful, and he'll be faithful to complete that work in you on the day of Christ Jesus. Are you worried that you're going to prove faithless, that you're going to fall flat on your face? Are you concerned that your sin is going to get the better of you and that holiness is going to always elude you? Don't be. The God of peace himself is going to sanctify you completely. Your whole body and soul and spirit are going to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How? Why? Because he who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen? Amen.